Welcome to a Bible study with Archie Gilmer. I am Archie Gilmer, the preaching minister at Oak Grove Christian Church in Arden, North Carolina. This podcast is intended to provide sound biblical teaching for your spiritual growth. Now let's get into the Bible study. We're back for Mark chapter, finishing up Mark chapter 3. Uh, after a couple of weeks ago, we went, uh, I think we went all the way to verse 20 of chapter 3 in Mark, Gospel of Mark. So we'll pick up there and see how far we can get in finishing up chapter 3 tonight. Let's have a word of prayer together and then we'll get into the study. Lord, we love you and we thank you for another night of Bible study and we just thank you for the word and being able to have it accessible to us. And we just ask that... Uh, you help us to clear our minds and hearts of everything that would distract us from seeing what we're, we have to find here. And we just ask you to apply it to our lives and help us to make disciples, help us to go into the world and do the things that you've called us to do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at uh, Jesus' ministry in chapter 3. And uh, so far in the first three chapters, Jesus is uh, sharing with the world around him uh, his authority and uh, it really Mark's gospel is really describing Jesus as a servant and uh, uh, his servanthood and he's and his and the first three chapters was about how, how what he was doing to show that and and using his authority uh, as son of God and uh, the authority of, that comes with the kingdom of God so just kind of keep that in mind as we continue to go through uh, I think we talked about uh, the apostles, uh, the 12 apostles last time we were together and how Jesus picked these regular guys, these ordinary guys that you wouldn't normally think that anybody would pick to make a team to do anything, let alone start the church and preach the gospel. But uh, that's that's who he picked. And it's kind of another way that God is showing his authority and his power and his strength and his wisdom and all of the above. So. We get into uh, chapter 3, verse 20, and he says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Uh, when his family heard about this, they, were, they went to take charge of him, and, for they said, He's out of his mind. Okay, so remember that Jesus is walking around teaching and preaching. Uh, he's he's uh, doing some things, healing some people, drawing a crowd, and just like any uh, other uh, in those times, they were whenever there were uh, teachers or 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 people who would uh, be having followers, they would oftentimes have their followers walk around with them and learn. And this is this was a common thing. But Jesus, the problem the problem here with with the, uh, the Pharisees is was first off, Jesus was teaching things that uh, they thought were blasphemous, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But also, he's drawing such a crowd that it became a problem for them. Because, you know, his crowd was bigger than their crowd. <laughs> starting to threaten their credibility and starting, they're starting to believe in Jesus and believe in the things that he's doing and believing what he was teaching about the kingdom of God, which was not in line with what they thought was right. So that's, that's what's going on. Well, this verse that we just read, verse 20, Jesus is going into somebody's house and the, the the disciples are with him and they're trying to sit down and have a meal, but they can't get that done because of so many people crowding them out, just following them around. And they can't even set the table. They can't get no food on the table. There's people talking, asking questions, trying to get at Jesus because Jesus is the one who heals. Remember, Jesus is the one who says things that don't that, that nobody's ever said before. And Jesus is the one who's done some things that uh, seem to give the impression that he could solve their problems or their perceived problems. So everybody wants to be with him. So they go into this place where they can't even eat because the crowd is so big. And it said, look what it says in verse 21. It says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Okay. Imagine uh, when, he, when he's talking about his family, he's talking about his mother and his brothers and sisters, that, that, the immediate family. And... The brother, we, we, we have every reason to believe that Mary knows who Jesus is, right? Because God told her who he is. So we, we don't have to doubt that. We don't have to question that. Now, could, could Mary have in a moment 
maybe not totally understood what that's about or how that's going to play out. No, I don't, I don't know about that. I just know that Mary knows who Jesus is. So I can't imagine that a lot of this action here was driven by Mary. However, it, we'll find out that she was with the family in this case. But the brothers and sisters are probably sitting back saying, yeah, Jesus is out of his mind. He's out here doing some crazy stuff. We always thought he was crazy to start with because he wasn't, you know, like the rest of us. But now he's out there and he's got all these people and he's going to get himself killed because he's uh, making the Pharisees angry. And he's just saying things that you shouldn't say. We better go get him. <laughs> right. You got that. You, everybody's got that one person in their family where mom and dad say, go get your brother <laughs> or go get your sister before something happens. <laughs> right. That's that's what's happening here. There's like we got to go get we have to go take charge of him or a, uh, get a hold of him and take him out of the situation before he causes a problem or before he gets himself in trouble or before things get out of hand because everybody's thinking that he's crazy or he's out of his mind or at least the family was. He must be out of his mind if he's going to be if he's going down this road like this. Verse 22 says, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's, de he's driving out demons, right? The prince of demons. So, so, not, so the, his family, his brothers and sisters and his mama are there to think, and they're like, uh, he, he's, he's probably out. He's, he's lost connection. We need to get him. And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and all of the religious leaders, they're following him around to try to trip him up, remember. They're constantly looking for something to point the finger at him. The problem is nobody can deny what he's doing. Nobody can challenge what he's doing because what he's doing is actually happening. They're seeing the miracles. And the things that he's teaching, they can't argue with because they're agreeing with what they know the law says. The word, the word of God in their time said. He's not saying anything outside of what has already been written in the law. So they can't argue with that. But they're challenged by it. They're, they're, they're being disrupted by it. It's becoming a problem for them. And so the, the family is like, okay, we're just going to assume he's out of his mind. We've got to go get him for his own sake. And the teachers of the Lord, they're making up this. They're saying, okay, well, he's, he's, they're not denying that he's doing the miracles and doing the great things, but they're just saying it must be some evil spirit that's helping him do this, or he's doing it by evil spirits. Because if, they didn't, if, they, if that wasn't true, then they would have to admit that they're doing it, that he was doing all of what he was doing and teaching by way of the authority of God. And they're not going to admit that because they don't want that to be true. They can't have that be true because it doesn't agree with what, who they are and what they've always uh, done. So, verse 23, Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. All right, this is where it gets a little interesting. When Jesus starts teaching in parables to these people, he says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a king, if a kingdom is divided against itself... That kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Verse 27, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless first he ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins of the blasphemy and blasphemies of the of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Right. And the verse 30 says he was saying he, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. So this is his way of re, uh, rebuking their accusation. This is his way of speaking truth into the situation for the purpose of teaching and for the purpose of defending uh, himself. So he's, he's saying, how, if, I'm, if I'm of Satan or if wickedness is doing these miracles, then how can Satan drive out Satan? Which is what one of the miracles 
that he did remember. And, and, and he was, so he's saying, why would Satan be against Satan? And he's saying, if a kingdom is divided, if this is all logic. This is all common sense for people. And he's like, if, 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 how can a kingdom be against itself and be successful? And we could even break that down into a personal level. If I'm against me, then how can I survive? How can I be successful if I'm against my own self? A house divided will never stand, cannot stand. It's true in every situation. It's a common sense truth, right? He says, no one who, you can't rob, you can't rob a strong man unless you deal with a strong man first, right? And he's like, the sins of the blasphemies of men will, will be forgiven them. He's getting, he's getting ready to tick everybody off, right? Because now he's talking about forgiving sins. And all the religious leaders are going to step back in astonishment and offense because he says this. Because only God can forgive sins, according to the religious leaders. And they know that. Jesus knows that. And he says, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. So he's declaring in his defense that he is God in the flesh. He's declaring that he is the Messiah and he has the authority to do what God does. Which is his defense because they're accusing him of being of Satan. So he has to say, I'm not of Satan, which would mean he's of God. In fact, is God. But in verse 29, he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. You, you, you've heard and uh, you, surely you've heard of what, what the, the discussions and teachings about the unforgivable sin. Right. Uh, God forgives. Jesus died on the cross. We all understand the gospel, I hope. Jesus died. His, his uh, blood was shed and he uh, was buried in, in, in a grave and came back to life. All of this is uh, what John 3.16 explains is for the purpose of forgiving the sins of man. Right? And there's no sin that God won't forgive under that covenant except for this one right here. Right? The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, how, how, do we know, how do we know when this is a danger? How do we know? What is that? Right? Because he just said, uh, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Then he says, however, blasphemes against, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. The basic way I understand this or the basic way, the basics of the way I explain can explain this is rejecting the spirit of God or rejecting the truth of God is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Meaning Jesus is the Christ. He died for your sins. Do you receive him as Lord and savior? Your answer is no, then you're guilty and you can't be forgiven. The only people that aren't forgiven are the ones that refuse to accept God's forgiveness. And that's rejecting the truth of God, rejecting the word of God, rejecting what the spirit of God is here to do, rejecting what Christ did on the cross, rejecting all of God, right? That's the only thing. The only time you can never be forgiven is when you reject Jesus and his sacrifice. Those who are not saved have rejected. Those who are not saved are blessed. And it's, and it's, and it, the, the details of how to understand that more are is that when the word of God is present, when the, the spirit of God in the presence of holiness, in the presence of any part of God, we reject. That's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit or the blaspheming of, of God. Yet every, everyone's everyone's guilty of verse 29 until we receive the truth of Jesus and the gospel. That's the that's the great escape. That's, that's the plan. That's the master plan of salvation. And that's, the, what, that's what Jesus is saying here is I'm doing these things by the authority and the power of God because that's who I am. And the only ones that are, are truly blaspheming are the ones who reject me. Right? Because they're accusing him of blasphemy. They're accusing him of doing things by, by way of Satan and claiming it's by way of God, which is blasphemy. And they're and he's just saying, okay, you want to talk about blasphemy? This is the way it works. This is God's, God forgives all blasphemy except for 
And, and basically he's saying to these uh, Pharisees and these religious leaders, you're standing in the presence of the son of God yourself right now and you're rejecting him. You're rejecting the truth and it's staring you in the face. So you're the ones who are guilty of blasphemy. Right? That's, that's really what that parable is all about. In the meantime, in front of all of his disciples, he's teaching this lesson to everybody. And they're, they're absor- hopefully absorbing it in so that they can learn. Every, every time he teaches something or does a miracle or, or anything like that or rebukes somebody, the disciples are there. And they're, they're being built up. And, they're, and they're, one more piece of the puzzle about who Jesus really is is, is being put into place. So that when uh, the day of Pentecost comes and the Spirit of God comes on them, they're fully prepared to go and preach the gospel by way of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is what all we're trying to do is continue to feed on the Word of God and feed on the truth of God so that when the Spirit of God is working in us every day, we have the things that we need to do the same things uh, uh, that the the disciples did, uh, at least as far as making disciples go in the world. So he says, because they were saying he has an evil spirit is why he said all that, because they were claiming he was blaspheming God by claiming he was doing things by uh, the the power of God when he's really doing it by the power of Satan. And he's correcting them saying, no, you're what you're describing is yourself because you're rejecting me and you don't even you're, you're not even willing to consider who I am. You're rejecting me. So that's that's blasphemy. That's the real blasphemy. All right. Look at verse 31. And he goes on with this. And he says, then Jesus, mother and brothers arrived. Remember, they they set off and like we got to go get Jesus because he's out of control. Right. He's out of his mind. So it says right there in, in, in the end of verse 21. It's like we got to go get him. He's out of his mind. So here they are. They show up. Then Jesus and, and mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. I always wonder why didn't they just go in there themselves? I don't know if I have the answer to that. I just wonder it. I'm like, why wouldn't they just go in there them, themselves? Why did they have to send for him? Maybe it was just too crowded. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe they were just passing the word on because there was too many people. Maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't want to be associated with him because he's out of his mind and he was causing trouble. And they didn't, you know, remember when all the all when when Jesus was arrested. The 12 guys started scattering and they're like, yeah, we don't know him. Well, he's 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 kind of making friction with the, the teachers of the law and getting himself in trouble so that maybe they maybe they don't want to go in there and let everybody know that they're with him. They're just saying, hey, would you go in there and tell Jesus we're out here? Maybe that's the case. Verse 32 says a crowd was sitting around uh, around him and they told him your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. I don't know how many times that's happened to me when I was a kid and I wasn't home when I was supposed to. Somebody always would come along, your mom's looking for you. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, or my dad's looking for you. So so he says, your mother and your brother are outside. Hey, look what he says, verse 33. He's like, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are they? Right? I I don't, and, and, and it's, he, he's not saying this to be disrespectful to his mother or his family or because he's mad at him for being out there. He's teaching another lesson here. I'm maybe even teaching the same lesson about himself to the crowd. He's like, look, you remember when Jesus got lost or got left behind when he was like 12 or, and he was in the temple teaching and talking with the other teachers and his parents are like, what? Where you been? How come you're not with us? And he's like, didn't you know where I would be? Duh. It's the same kind of response. He's like, who are they? I'm busy right now. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing what I here, came here to do. And then he says this. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. The, the NIV has the, the New International Version has an exclamation point. He says, whoever does God's will is my brother and, and sister and mother. Okay, so here we have Jesus who's just declared himself God in front of everybody. 
who's been doing miracles, been teaching about the kingdom of God, been speaking truth into people, uh, been healing people, been casting out demons, calling the 12 uh, men that are going to become the apostles. And he's got this large crowd following him. His parents and his people think he's crazy. And uh, the teachers think he's blasphemous. And he looks around and he's like, oh, y'all are my family. And he's not disowning his mother and brothers, but however, as we find out later in chapter four, if whenever we get there, his brothers aren't believing who he is. His, brother, his brothers aren't believing what's going on. That's why they think he's out of his mind. They're not believing that he's the Messiah. They're not believing that he has the power to heal or the power to do whatever. They can't explain what he's doing. They're just not going to receive it as truth. So maybe... He's trying to prove a point like whoever's with me, whoever's believing in me, whoever is accepting this truth is my family. Right. Speaking as a not as Jesus, the human being brother to his blood brothers and his mother, but Jesus, the son of God, saying whoever is with me is my family. If, if his brothers and his mother would have been following him with the crowd, they would have already been there. But they weren't following him because they refused to accept him for being who he is. And that's where we go back to verse 29. He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. It's the gospel. The gospel is cut and dry. God does love everybody. But not everybody will be saved. Not everybody will re receive forgiveness. Right. And it's and it's nobody's it's nobody's choice, but the individual. God's already made his choice and he chooses everybody. The problem is, is not everybody will choose him. And, and this is this is like the this is like the depth of his teaching in his ministry at this point where he's exposed. Not only is he exposing himself as the son of God or the, the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah as a miracle worker, as a demon uh, handler or cast and caster outer, whatever you want to call that. But also a, a guy that has the authority of God because he is God. And he's somehow presenting to the, all the people that I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do what needs to be done for you. And he's, when he says you, he's saying those who will accept what I'm here to do will receive. Right. Then he, then he, then he, he well, that's why he says, here, here's my mother and my brothers. Now we know that he loved his mother, right? There's plenty of things that happened while he was being crucified that shows us that he loved his mother. It's not like he's rejecting her. And, it, and it's not like she didn't believe. This is a statement where his the people who thought he was out of his mind, you can't think Jesus is out of his mind and accept him as son of God at the same time. You got you to you pick one or the other, right? Either he's crazy or he's from Satan or he's son of God, right? And the, and the choice is still the same today. There's a lot of people in our world even today that think Jesus either didn't exist or that he was just some... Uh, some teacher or that uh, he was somebody who was pretending to be God and he wasn't really a good person at all because he was, it was just a big lie. Uh, most, I think most people in today's world, this is my personal thought, is a lot of people in today's world are just totally dismissing his existence because that's the easiest thing to do, right? If you just dismiss his existence, you don't have to wrestle with all this other stuff. Makes sense. So if you don't want if you don't want to deal with something, you do you, you turn into a three or four year old and you cover your ears and you make a bunch of noise and act like it didn't happen. <laughs> like, I can't hear you. That's not happening. That that's what people are doing spiritually today. They're, they're just dismissing the very existence of God altogether. Not realizing that they are just like these religious teachers where they're they're seeing what's happening. They're seeing Jesus cast out demons. They're seeing Jesus heal people. They're seeing Jesus teach and preach about the kingdom of God, which agrees with what they have read in the law. 
But because they won't receive it or they don't want it to be true, they just dismiss it and claim it to be something else, like of Satan. He's, whatever he's doing, he's doing it of Satan. So we're just going to dismiss it. Well, all of, all of anyone who dismisses or rejects or changes who Jesus is are the blasphemers who cannot be forgiven. And the good news is today, y'all, is it's not a done deal until you stop breathing. <laughs> There's always time for repentance before you leave this world. Right. Once once you leave this world or when Jesus comes back, who stands in a blasphemous state against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And they will forever be away from God, separated for eternity. So what we know is hell. The rest who will repent and uh, will step into what God has made available, which is the gospel, which is Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, which provides forgiveness for the sins and the blasphemies of man. When we step into that, then we are his family. These are my family. These are the ones who are close to me. Right? Isn't it the worst when, when it, it seems like it's your own family that's against you in something? That, that's the worst time. You might have a bunch of friends that support something that you're doing, but it's when your family's like coming against you or working against you or speaking against what you're trying to do, whether it's about your Christian faith or not, it's, it's always stings a little bit more. And when Jesus' family shows up in the crowd and they sent word to come out like, they, like he's just going to come out because they said so, he's like, well, where have they been? All these other people have been following me and they're interested in the kingdom of God. They're interested in what God has to offer them. They're interested in learning about God. Where, where have they been? You know? Verse 35 is a very pretty powerful verse in chapter 3. Probably something we ought to memorize and ask God how to use appropriately in our own lives where it says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Right? This is, this is where, this is a verse that I use a lot of times to talk to people when I have opportunity about, it's not just about confessing Christ, being baptized so you can go to heaven and then not do anything else. There's, it's not a, it's not, salvation is not, not a card, it's not a membership card you put in your wallet or your purse and now you're good for the rest of your life. That's not what it is. He's saying whoever does God's will. There's doing involved. That's why James teaches that faith without deeds is dead, right? That's what James says. And it's, and it's difficult to talk about because those who are trying to refuse Jesus or reject Jesus will always say, see, I thought it wasn't about works. And now you're telling me you have to do the will of God to be part of the family. Or you, to, to have faith, you have to, you have, to have deeds. And that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what we're saying. What the Bible says is if you believe and you're part of the family of God, you will have a desire to do the will of God. And, and, and not only that, it, I think it goes deeper than that. We will have a desire to have the desire to do the will of God, right? Right? It's not like we're reluctantly seeking the Lord in prayer saying, help me want to do your will. Right. And then when he gives us that desire, we're like, yeah, I want I don't want to do it, but I now I want to do it. And we're complaining about it. When we when we have the desire to desire to do the will of God, it's like we can't rest until we find more of his will to do. We can't be satisfied until we do more for the kingdom. Until we do more for someone else who doesn't know God. We can't rest until this, the Lord has his way in our own hearts so that others can be blessed the way we're blessed. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to be in the family of God. That's what it means to be the mother and brothers and sisters of Jesus. We're not really in the family. We're not, I don't even believe that we're really saved until we can start living in this verse 35. Not that, not, that, not that you've done something wrong, but 
salvation produces fruit in your life when it's genuine. When you're when you're when you believe, you genuinely believe that Jesus is who he says he is. When you genuinely have a desire to repent of being an offender of God and an enemy of God. When you have a desire to uh, follow his plan of salvation and seek his will for your life. So you get you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then from then on, it's all about being obedient to the word of God in your life. And searching the word for his will. And once we seek his will and find his will, because he doesn't hide from us, then we begin to do his will. Which we all know would agree with loving people and loving God, always. If we're loving people and loving God, we know that we're doing the will of God. Right? And, and there's so many different ways that God would lead us and guide us into how, how to, that can be done in our lives. And there's as many as many people as there are there as there are in the world that's how many different ways God can use to love somebody because we all have different personalities and different ways of thinking and different ways of doing as long as we're seeking the same will of the same God and surrender to the same Savior this is true in our lives whoever does the will is my brother and my sister and my mother powerful statement I think right and I think, I think sometimes as, as believers, maybe we get so caught up in helping the rest of the world be like Christ that we're not spending any time focusing on ourselves being like Christ or doing the will of God or being part of the family. If I just do my part, stay in my lane, if I just get with the Lord and seek his will for my life and what he's doing in my life and what he wants to use me for and contribute to the kingdom that way and, and depend on God to help you all do the same thing and all the rest of the believers in the world, then we're part of the most powerful thing going. We're, we're tru truly, genuinely part of the most powerful thing in existence, the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? And that's when we start seeing, uh, we, then we, we, we start seeing evidence of God in our lives and in the world and in the community. We start seeing the power of God in, in other people's lives and in our own life. We see people getting saved. We see God uh, answering prayers. We, see, we, we just see the Lord changing people. Even in the middle of all this nonsense that we live in, right? There's a lot of nonsense going on. It's, it's bad out there. And it's not anything that should surprise us because Jesus taught us that it would be bad. And I think that it's not as bad as Jesus was describing yet. And I think it's pretty bad. But God is bigger than all of it. And if we're part of the kingdom, if we're part of the family, if we're following him, if we're part of the crowd that's sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching and being near him so that we can be part of him, then we will be a part of what he does in this world. What I've learned as a, as a Christian man since I've been saved is that God is going to do what God is going to do, whether I'm part of it or not, whether I'm obedient or not, whether I'm faithful or not, whether I have a desire to do his will or not, God will have his way, period. And if I choose to not participate or if I choose to slack off or if I choose to be like his brothers and his mother at, in this moment and just be somewhere else when he's off doing something, that I'm missing out. I'm not disturbing his plan. I'm just not participating. And I'm going to suffer for that. So let's just take note that there's two crowds there's three crowds there's the crowd that was following him for whatever their reasons were probably not 100 percent uh motives were were 100 genuine because they were they were seeking after some healing and some problem solving not realizing or not accepting or not even caring if he was the son of god maybe they knew it maybe they suspected it all they knew is he was solving problems and they need some problems solved so they followed him it's not a bad reason to follow jesus as long as you grow into the best reason to follow Jesus. But then you got the, the teachers who are just rejecting him because you don't want to accept who he is. So you just say he's of something else, which is uh, that will that will in, that will always end in never being forgiven because you're blaspheming against the truth of God. And then you have the, 
the family who just uh, could not live in realville right they just couldn't do it because he's you know you know your own blood sometimes is the hardest people to witness to they're the hardest ones to share the gospel with they're the hardest ones to talk to about your faith and and it's not because there's anything wrong with the gospel it's it's because we're uh so close to them i was, I was going to say too close but you can't get too close to your family but maybe because we're so close to them, it, it's a hard thing because it's to to the non to the person who's not a believer, the person who's rejecting God. It's it's like sandpaper, right? And every time you bring it up, you're causing friction between you and that person that you care about. So it's hard, and it's challenging. And here's Jesus himself, who couldn't even get his own brothers to accept him. Right. And that's not because Jesus It's not. Here's here's the thing. And, and we're going to see some of this in, in the, when we get into chapter four here in a minute. It's not because Jesus couldn't reveal himself to them where they could believe. It's because Jesus there's a way that Jesus was doing it to where it would be their choice. Because God could make us do anything. God could make every one of us. Know anything or do anything. But as I've said before, forced love is not genuine love. And God doesn't force himself. And he's not going to force us to love him. So he's presenting himself. Jesus is presenting things in a way where if you're paying attention, you'll see him. If you're seeking him, you'll find him. If you're objecting and you're kicking against his authority, then you won't, you won't see him and you won't find him. Let's start with chapter 4 and add to some of this. Chapter 4, verse 1, we may get to the rest of this part where it's going to help us with that part. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it, sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along uh, the shore at the water's edge. I, I was taught uh, years and years ago by uh, some other Bible teacher that I can't remember his name. Uh, I was taught that part of the reason he did this is because that area was like an amphitheater on that lakeside. Yeah, and, and he, he could get in that boat and talk pretty much like I'm talking, and everybody could hear what he's saying. So that's part of the reason I think he was doing this. Plus, as we noted before in Chapter 3, there were so many people, they were crowding around him and pushing this oven to get close to him. It's easier for him to create distance so that they couldn't get to him, so he could actually do what he's trying to do. All right, so verse 2 says, He taught them many things by parables, and in his teachings he said this. So we're getting ready to talk about parables and why he uses parables in, in chapter 4. And we'll see how far we can get through this today, and then we'll carry on. Uh, I don't want to go through too many parables at, the, at a time because we want to chew on them, but there's a little bit, most of this goes together, so we'll try to get through it. Here's what he says. He starts to teach him and he's using parables. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it. They ate it up. Verse five, some fell on rocky places where it did, uh, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear uh, grain. And verse 8 says, still other fell on, uh, others fell on good seed soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 36 or even 100 times. And then Jesus said in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a statement that you could remember and underline and put a star next to and Ask the Lord to help you with, with understanding what that means over time because it's important and it's the key to everything he's doing right here in this, in this parable and many other parables even. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 10, he says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. So he's, they're getting ready to ask him, what did, what did you mean about, by what you said in that parable? Uh, and he's getting ready to explain all of what he said. 
right? So we're just going to read Jesus teaching it instead of me trying to teach it. Best, best plan. Let Jesus teach it. So he says, so, so they, they, were, they were around him and they asked about the parable. Verse 11, he told them. It gets kind of confusing for a minute. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Look at verse 12. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. If I'm, if I'm one of these 12 guys, these, these disciples of Jesus or, or however many, uh, however many might have, extra might have been around, I'm going to sit back and say, but wait a minute. Are you saying that you want people to be forgiven or are you saying you don't want people to be forgiven? Because it sounds like he's saying, if I don't teach in parables, some people might get saved. That, that shouldn't get saved. And that's not what he's saying, but that's what it might sound like he's saying. So he's saying, look, and this is, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 6, uh, when Isaiah was experiencing, when, 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 when Isaiah had the, that holy hot coal pressed on his lips, right? And God uh, told him to go and preach, basically, and say these things. And this is what he's quoted, what he's saying. He said, okay. They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So Isaiah was saying those things in Isaiah chapter 6. And the way it's described in studies is that he, this is him expressing his, he, he's basically saying it's almost like I'm not even preaching the truth. It's almost like I'm not even saying anything. And this is his way of expressing it. It's like when we're raising our children and we're talking to them and it's like you're talking to a brick wall. <laughs> it's like I didn't even say it. I just told y'all, sit down and be quiet. But it's like I never said nothing. And that's how Isaiah is feeling and that's, or was feeling. And that's why Jesus is using, quoting what Isaiah said because people that were there would know. They would understand that and have read that. And Jesus is saying, I'm teaching in parables because it's, it's going to be like people are not even hearing what I'm saying. And, and it really doesn't, you really can't really understand exactly why he's pointing this out unless you think about verse 9 where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you really want to hear the sermon on Sunday morning, you'll show up and you'll pay attention. Right? If, if you really want to know what's on the news, you'll turn it on and you'll listen. If you really want to know how your spouse feels about you, you will ask them and you'll pay attention to what they say. But if you don't care or if, you don't, if you're not looking for that information, you will ignore it. You won't have ears to hear. You may be sitting in the room. You may even be looking at the person talking, but you will not be able to grasp what is being said. That's where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The, the best way I understood when Jesus says this all throughout the Bible, when we read it, is that Jesus is saying, he who is seeking me, let them find me. Whoever is genuinely wanting to know about God and about salvation and about everything that comes with that, let them find that. Let them find the truth. And everybody else who's just playing games and acting like whatever, they're looking for something and, or acting like they're, they're just trying to pretend. You know, some people just go to church so their neighbors don't talk, to, talk about them. You know that. I don't know if that happens much these days, but that's the way it was when I was growing up. Right? That's why mom took us and dropped us off. She didn't never stay. She just dropped us off because she didn't want... She didn't want the neighbors talking about her. her kids don't go to church. Then, then my older brother started, me and my older brother started driving. So she told me and my older brother to drive us to church. And we'd, we'd go to the arcade for an hour and then come home. And she never went with us. So, we, we, you know, we didn't have ears to hear then because we didn't hear it. Right? So he's saying this stuff. And I want to say, I want to point this out because... We want to make sure that people don't understand that some people are going to get saved and some won't. 
that God's already chosen those things. That's, some people might take this piece of scripture and use it to make that point, and it's not what he's saying. Because look, remember when, uh, when Jesus was healing people and talking to the demons, he would just say what to do. He would just say, be healed, or he would just tell the demons, leave. And they would do it. He would just talk, and his authority made things happen. Because he has authority all of all, over all creation of everything. So if, if Jesus doesn't teach in parables, think about this. If he doesn't teach in parables, the authority of his words would cause everyone to hear the truth and be forgiven. And it wouldn't be their will. It wouldn't be their choice to be forgiven. Because we're, we're part of God's creation. So we... And we, because of that, we have to be obedient to his command. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to choose him. So parables are, parables are taught, truth is taught through parables so that those who are seeking him and want him will find him. And make the choice for him. Just chew on how that sounds to you. Because God would never force us to be saved. Could, but he won't because it's not genuine love. All right, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, he's getting ready to explain the parable. So I didn't want you to think I was just skipped over the parable and didn't explain it. So here we go. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? After he just said that, what he said about uh, what he quoted Isaiah, he's like, do you, so you're asking me about this parable. And if you don't understand this parable, you're not, you don't have ears to hear is what he's saying. And you're going to have problems with every parable that I teach. So, which that's, that's encouraging to me because he's saying to the, to the disciples in this time, if you're struggling to have ears to hear right now, that can change. You're not stuck there. If you don't, if you're not, if you're not, your heart can change basically. If you're looking for me, if you're not looking for me now, you can decide to look for me and, and things will change for you. So how he says, how then will you understand anything? What's the point in talking to you if you're not going to pay attention? If you don't care, if you're not listening, if you're not seeking the truth, then what's the point in talking to you? All right, verse 14 says, the farmer sows the word. And the fact that he explains it to him tells me he's got grace and patience with them. Because they're asking, well, we don't understand. He could have just walked off and said, well, I guess they don't have ears to hear. But he's patient with them. Right? And, and they're selected to do a good work. They're selected to do what they went off and did. So he sticks with them and he gives them some more time to have ears to hear. The farmer show, sows the word. Right? The word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Some people will hear the word and they might take it. They might say amen at, in, in the sermon or they might read the Bible and say amen and thank the Lord for it. But then as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. It's almost like, it, 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 it's almost like truth was there and they saw truth. But because Satan is alive in their life or they're influenced more by the things of Satan, they, 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 didn't, they never even got a hold of it. So it's useless for them. Verse 16 says, others like seed sown on the rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. There's a lot of people, uh, I think all of us at one time were in this boat. We, we hear the truth and we're like, yeah, I want, that's good stuff right there. I want it. I want that. And we receive it as truth and we get excited about it. But since they have no root, the la it only lasts for a short time. These are the people that come to church and get it, say amen and sing loud on Sunday morning. But by the time Monday afternoon comes, they have no idea who God is. And, no, and everybody can tell. Because <laughs> they're at work and it's Monday. And everybody knows what Mondays are like. <laughs> when you got a job, or like a working job. Monday's the worst day because you just got two days off and now you don't want to go back to work. And then Satan, is, it's like ripe pickings for Satan that day. And he can just totally make you dismiss anything that you received with joy because you're not, there's no foundation. There's no root there. You're not spending time with him. You don't have ears to hear that help you grow and 
have a, a solid foundation. All right, verse 17, that means receiving it with joy means you want it. You want the truth, but you don't want it enough every day that you're developing roots. So it's just surface. And it's not going to last. Verse 17 says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. It says when trouble or persecution comes because of, the, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Right? People that, uh, people that, people that uh, during the week, uh, it's, e it's too easy for them to join in on all the shenanigans that, that Satan has people wrapped up in. It's just too easy for them to go with the crowd instead of stand firm in who they say they are or who the truth says they are, that they received with such great joy on Sunday, but throughout the week they, it's just too hard because they don't want to be made fun of or rejected by their friends and their family members. Verse 18 says, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, so they have ears to hear. They're looking for truth and they hear it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I, I hear that instruction or that teaching right there, and I think of any person who will only go to church when they have nothing better to do with their life. And I'm not even going to pick out any specific thing because I don't want to call nobody out. That's between them. They know what they do. We all know who, what's going on. We all know what our priorities are. There's just way too many times Something comes up and it's like, well, we'll go to church next Sunday or we'll study the Bible next tomorrow. We'll have family prayer tomorrow night because this TV show is coming on or, or that thing is happening or there's this concert going. The priority of your, your relationship with, with God and you being a part of his family because you do God's will, as verse 35 in chapter 3 pointed out, is low on the totem pole when it comes to your priorities and almost anything and everything can come before your relationship with him and your worship of him and your serving of his of this world and the kingdom of god and the thorns of life you're worried about things that you shouldn't be worried about you're you're you're, you're obsessing about things that you're obsessing about it could be anything you know how many people are waxing their boat and their cars on Sunday mornings? <laughs> because they love their cars more than they love their relationship with the Lord. And it's not about going to church. It's about anything in life. Anything that becomes a God in your life or becomes an obstacle between you and your relationship with, with Jesus is what he's talking about. Is a thorn that will choke out. It will choke it out, the truth in your life. So he says, uh, others, verse 20, others like, see, by the way, notice the last part of verse 20 of verse 19 says, making it unfruitful. It, it, it's easy. If you're evaluating yourself, I think it's easy to see if there's fruit or not. And if we're listening to God and paying attention to his spirit in our life, he will let, he will make sure that we realize if there's fruit or not. And if we are able to be honest with ourselves and with God, we can repent from that. Right? And we can become better soil for the word so that it can produce fruit. But when you're looking at your family and your children and your grandchildren, we don't want to put ourselves in the place of judgment, but it's our responsibility for our children and grandchildren and as brothers and sisters in Christ to be fruit inspectors. For the sake of helping each other. If we have a brother or sister in Christ or we have our own children or somebody else's children in the church and we see that there's no fruit, then somehow we have to help. We have to try to intervene and say, what, what can we do to make this soil better for the word of God? And it starts with prayer, obviously. We pray for one another. I don't mean that we poke fingers and say, you sinner, you're not producing fruit. No. It's, it's, it's all about love and encouragement, speaking truth into each other's lives in, in, in a way that honors God. And we pray for each other. We lift each other up and encourage one another. That, what that's called is cultivating the ground or cultivating the soil in a person's heart, in a person's life. 
That's, what, that's how our hearts get softened so that God can have his way. All right, verse 20 says, Others, like seed sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what is sown. God's return on his investment is always way greater than what the investment was. Always. I, when, I hear, when I hear Jesus teaching about soil and good soil versus bad soil, I always think about uh, Indiana and the cornfields that are all over the place. Every place else I've lived outside of Indiana, I've never found any soil like the soil in Indiana. It's, it's, it's real, real black and it's real rich and it goes deep. And, it, and it, you can, it doesn't matter what seed you drop in it, it will grow something. When I lived in Florida, it wasn't nothing but sand. You can grow stuff in Florida, but it's a whole different technique and it's a lot more work. When I lived uh, in other places, it was more of a clay, hard, clay, hard orange clay soil. And you can grow in that too, but you got to know you got to work harder to do it. And here, it's all rocks. <laughs> you can grow here, but it's all rocks and forest. So trying to find, if, I, if you find any soil or create any soil, you got to move some trees so you can have some sun. It's just harder. That's what I think about when I read this parable. God wants us to be the rich, dark soil. Soft and being being able God can pour into us everything we need so that the word of God would come alive in us not only come alive but we would become these awesome representations of God's truth that produces fruit plenty of fruit 60 70 100 times what was sown think about what he's saying the seed is the word the truth and if, and, if, and if we allow God to sow that word into our hearts and we're the good, the good soil and the mission is to make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he'll go with us, remember? What is the return on that? If that's alive in us. If we are the vessels that produce fruit. It's not just a little bit. It's not just one person getting saved here and there or one person knowing more about God here and there it's not it's not that it's a never ending production of fruit in our lives and when you think about how many believers are there in the world how many people are part of the family of God because they're seeking the will of God and they're doing the will of God and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ you see that's the biggest thing going right in the world. That's the biggest thing happening in the existence of all creation is the kingdom of God because of this right here. That's why he's telling the disciples, if you don't understand this parable, you ain't going to get nothing. You ain't going to get none of it. And I'm just talking to the wind. Right? But I think he wants us to understand that same thing. You can, you, I don't know how many people I've met in my life that have told me, and I believe many of them, that they've read the entire Bible some of them know it quite well, but they've rejected Jesus. They don't want any part of him. Some of them study it and learn it so that they can argue with me or you or any other believer because they're convicted by it. Those are, those are the pharisaical guys and ladies. They're, they're trying to figure out how to prove Jesus isn't who he is so that they can reject him, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder, these atheists, why they spend their entire life, they spend all their energy refuting a God that they don't believe exists? Make any sense, does it? Other than the fact that they're probably the most convicted people in the world over Jesus. That, that gives me hope for them, because as long as they're convicted, they haven't totally rejected to the point where there's no, there's no hope for them. And then you got people who claim to be believers, but they're, they're believing they're saved and they're really not saved. And I think those are the ones that are in the most trouble. 
because they believe they're saved. So there's no, there, therefore, there's no reason for them to seek the Lord or seek the truth. They're not trying, they're not trying to find anything. And, and we can scream the gospel all day long at them, but because they believe they're already saved, it's going to hit them and they're going to say, yeah, that's true for so-and-so and so-and-so because I'm saved. I don't need that. And they don't have ears to hear. And Jesus is saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's the epitome of how the gospel works. It's evidence that God doesn't force his love on us and he doesn't force us to love him. Whoever wants it can have it. Whoever's looking for it will find it. Whoever asks for it will receive it. But it's got to be genuine. It's got to be real. Right? You know, Pharaoh, when he was dealing with all the plagues that God was bringing on to him and his kingdom, he would, whenever he had enough... Right. Whenever he could bear it no more, he would pretend to repent. He would say, OK, OK, I give up. I give up. Uncle, uncle. You know, if you got brothers and sisters, you know what that's about. And if you're the older brother or sister, then you were the you were the we called the perpetrator. And if you were the younger sibling, then you were the victim. And you're screaming, uncle, I give up. I give up. And then as soon as you give up and, and you get relief, you go right back to doing whatever caused that to start with. And it's a continuing cycle. And that's what Pharaoh was doing. He didn't really repent. He didn't really want God to be his God. He didn't really. He just wanted relief from the, the problems that God allowed in his life. But he wasn't willing to soften his heart. So. God didn't force him. In fact, the, the scripture says God hardened his heart. You ever think about what that means? Why would God harden a person's heart? If God wants, if, God, if it's God's desire that we would all be saved, then why would he harden a man's heart? And it's because God gives us the desires of our heart. Always. And if you don't desire him, he will turn you over to what you do desire. If you desire him, then he will lavish himself on you to where you can't handle him you can't take it you ever felt blessed beyond what you can handle you ever you ever been overwhelmed and overtaken by god and his goodness in your life his faithfulness his presence a lot of times that happens in your darkest moment when you really feel the presence of god when you absolutely need it and it's because you have ears to hear. It's because you're seeking that. You're seeking what he has for you. And when we do those things, when we're tuned in like that, and, and in our heart, it's genuine to want what Jesus has for us. Not only do we have ears to hear, but we're his. We're his family. We find what we're looking for. Right? Right? We're sitting, in the, we're sitting in the crowd at Jesus' feet and we're just soaking it all in. Not even realizing everything that we're soaking in. You, can you, you ever think about all these people that are following Jesus and they have this thing in their mind why they're following him for whatever the reasons were, but they're, but they're really not aware of, of just exactly what they're in the presence of. And even today, after all of this that's happened, after the cross, after his resurrection, after all the preaching, all the disciple making since the, since the, the day of Pentecost, even those, the, even those who are tuned in the most, those who have ears to hear, those of us disciples that are pursuing the truth and pursuing Christ, we still have no way of taking in the fullness of who Jesus really is. Even, when, even in those moments when we're overwhelmed by him and his blessings, we still cannot fathom just how big he is. Ain't it great? It's, it's, it, this, is, this is Jesus presenting himself to the world. It's Jesus reminding us through his word just who he is and just what it means to be saved and, and how to tune into him. It's, the ball is always in our court when it comes to our relationship with God. You either want him or you don't. You either want to hear the truth or you don't. God will not hide himself from anyone. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for this word. We thank you for this testimony of who you are. Help us, Lord, to absorb uh, this truth. Help us to have ears to hear uh, this truth. Not the truth that we want to hear, but the truth that it really is. Help us to adjust ourselves to what your spirit wants to do with that truth. Help us, Lord, to continue to uh, be those who are part of your family, your brothers and your sisters, and uh, those who are faithful to you. Help us to help others do the same. Help us to produce fruit, be soil that would produce fruit, and give you the glory in the end. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this. We thank you for it all, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us at A Bible Study with Archie Gilmer. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at agilmer.ogcc18 at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you join us again at A Bible Study with Archie Gilmer.